Like you said, uh, my name is Taylor Long, and I'm the apprentice um, all the way from Winona Lake, Indiana. Um, so I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning and, and then the duration of the summer. Um, but if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and get that out. If you don't, um, look under a seat around you, um, and you'll, you'll find one close by. And we're going to be in Mark 8 today. Mark 8, so we're, we're halfway through, still building to the climax of the Gospel of Mark. Not quite there, but we're almost there. And as you're turning there, um, I do want to warn you that you might feel a little deja vu when we read this. You might feel a little, I don't know if you remember the, uh, the movie with Bill Murray, Groundhog's Day. You might feel that a little bit as you get into this and as we read, because just uh, two chapters ago, Jesus fed 5,000 plus, and now he's going to feed 4,000 plus. But while they're, they're similar, there are a lot of differences, and these differences highlight a number of, of points um, and a number of different things, and Jesus also has reasons for doing things twice. Uh, he wants to get his point across. So um, that's what we're going to try and look at, and that's what we're going to dig into uh, this morning. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read, uh, starting in, in verse 1 of Mark 8, um, and then we'll just kind of dive right in. All right, so Mark 8, 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. All right, so a couple things that we get to notice. Um, one difference that we get to notice right away as Mark writes, the first things that he says is in those days. In those days, and that's an indicator of exactly where Jesus was at the time. If you were here last week, um, you got to hear Pastor Danny speak about Jesus uh, healing a deaf man um, and, and casting a demon out. But early on, he explained about the region in which Jesus was when he did those things. And he was actually in Gentile area. So there were the Jews and the Gentiles. And while Jesus did those things, he was in Gentile country, as some would say, you know, big blue nation. This was Gentile nation. Um, so in this time, while Jesus was doing those things and with the Gentiles, he decides to then feed this 4,000 plus. So we know that the crowd is mainly Gentile. And if you have a background in Bible, you would know that the Gentiles aren't um, the uh, accepted ones. They're kind of the ones that are left off the side. They're unacceptable to the Jews. They're unclean, um, defiled. They're not the, the pure Jews, and so they're kind of, let's stay away from these guys. So Jesus is hanging out with these guys that are 
unaccepted in the Jewish culture. And uh, starting in verse 2, Jesus says something super important because his disciples would not fully understand why he's spending this time with the Gentiles. In verse 2, Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. See, Jesus declares, I have compassion. And it's interesting because we read a lot in the Gospels that Jesus had compassion on the crowd or being moved with compassion. He did this and having compassion, he did that. But this is the first time that we see Jesus himself declare, I have compassion. He says, I have compassion. It wasn't an observer saying, oh, wow, he was moved with compassion. Jesus comes out and says, I have compassion. And so he's telling his disciples right here that his compassion reaches as far as they can imagine. Even those that are unaccepted or, or kind of outcast, my compassion reaches them. I still love them. I still have compassion for them. And his disciples don't know if they would have understood it, but that was he, that's what he was trying to get across to them because they weren't thinking compassionately on this crowd. They weren't thinking you know, in a loving way towards this crowd. They didn't want to be around this crowd, but Jesus says, I have compassion. So we can apply that to, to our lives just real quickly. We can re- apply that to our lives and understand that even those outside the walls that are unacceptable in our eyes, unclean in our eyes, Jesus still has compassion on them. His compassion reaches the farthest corners of the earth. We can't get around that. And he declares that here as he says, I have compassion on the crowd. And so not only is this crowd mainly Gentile, we can also see that they're also very, very passionate about Jesus. Picking back up in verse 2, we can see that he had compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away, hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. This crowd wanted nothing more than just to simply be with Jesus. They were passionate about being with him. They didn't care about what they were going to eat. You know, I can imagine a conversation before leaving a home um, between uh, a mother and a father. Hey, we're going to go see Jesus. You know, the, the mother would think logically because men are always just impulsive, right? Um, hey, we're, we're going to go see Jesus. And then the, the mother or wife would say, well, what are we going to eat? And then the answer would just be, no, no, it doesn't matter. We're just going to go be with Jesus. It doesn't matter what we're going to eat. We're just going to get to be with him, sit at his feet and learn. That's what this crowd was thinking. They just simply wanted to be with Jesus. They weren't thinking about, oh, shoot, how are we going to uh, eat? How are we going to you know, get something to drink? This is a desolate place that we're going to. What are we going to do? No, they're thinking, hey, Jesus is there, so we have to be there. We have to be there. And so we see that they were unacceptable yet very, very passionate. And so Jesus, seeing this, seeing this and moved with his compassion, he, see, he wants to meet this need and ask his disciples, how can, we, how can we do this? And his disciples answer him um, in verse 4, um, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Okay, how can one feed these people with bread in such a desolate place? Now, this is really easy to, to kind of jump on these guys because a lot of you guys, I don't know about you, but here's chapter 8 in my Bible. 
I don't even have to turn the page. And right here is the account of feeding of the 5,000. So I don't even have to, to flip a page to get to it. So it wasn't that long ago that Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus, and now we have 4,000 plus, and the disciples are thinking, how's he going to do this? Like we, all right, so it's easy to jump on these guys and say, do they not remember? Do they not remember? Like, it was a, a week ago, man. Like, come on, Peter. Like, wake up. But no, they didn't remember, and I don't think that they just simply forgot. I think they need their memories jogged a little bit, as we'll see later on, but they didn't figure it out to begin with. So Jesus, um, after hearing the disciples say, well, let's just send them home and wish them luck, um, Jesus instructs them um, to, to you know, figure out how many loaves we have and, and then have the crowd sit down. So in verse 5, it gives us this account, and it says, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven, and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. So Jesus finds out, all right, we've got seven loaves. He he blesses them, breaks them. Okay, we've got a couple sardines blesses them, sets it before the crowd, and they feed all 4,000 plus. They feed all 4,000 plus. And this isn't just like take a little nibble and pass it on and try and savor it. No, they were all satisfied. They ate and were full to the point where there was leftovers. If you were hungry, there was plenty for you to go back to, uh, but they were too full. They didn't need any more. And there were seven Baskets full, not the little itty-bitty baskets either. These were giant uh, human-sized baskets. And I don't know the, the point behind the seven baskets. Maybe the seven giant Gentile nations and Jesus is pushing, you know, I'm going to accept the Gentiles here soon. I'm not going to press that. But I think the big point is that they were all satisfied. Jesus fed them all to the point that they were satisfied. And we get to see uh, a number of different things at play here. First of all, real people have real needs. See, Jesus had compassion on this crowd, and he knew that they were physically hungry, and they physically needed food. They needed actual food. And so something we can, can take and understand that, you know, outside this walls, or even here, like I know today at some point in time, I'm probably going to need to eat, probably more than Uh, I should, but I'll need to eat, and I'll need to drink, and you'll need to eat, and you'll need to drink. People need certain things, physical things. So as we go out and be a Christ-centered witness, we can understand that people have needs to be met. People have needs to to be met, and we can't just simply ignore them. And you know what? We have needs that do need to be met, and we shouldn't just simply ignore our needs as well. We can't focus fully on the spiritual. Now, I'm not saying we, we cancel that out either because I don't want to you know, feed someone and then send them on their way um, to a, 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 a lesser eternity um, than they could. So that's one thing. Real people have real needs. And then the second one is be with Jesus. Worry about being with Jesus, and he'll worry about taking care of you, and he'll provide for you. Be passionate and be with Jesus, 
Trust him and he'll worry about providing for you. Now I want to say too, that may not end up being the cookie cutter way that, that I want it to be, but he will provide because we know we've got a good God and we have a sovereign God and he's orchestrating this all out for his glory and that's what we're after. That's what we're after. So Jesus making this point, all right, he has compassion on this crowd and, and trying to, to drive this home to his disciples. Um, in verse 10, it tells us they, he, gets in, he immediately gets in a boat with his disciples and they take off to, to Dalmanutha. Um, and, and waiting for the him is the Pharisees, um, the good old Pharisees. And the first thing that they began to do is to argue with him. All right, in verse 11, you see the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, a couple of, one thing, I can't imagine being in Jesus' place at the moment because the Pharisees come up asking for a sign. Now, what, let's, I'm going to just kind of look at my head, the headings on my Bible here. He just fed 4,000 plus. He just healed a deaf man. He just casted a demon out without coming into contact with them. He uh, heals more sick. He walks on water. He feeds 5,000. Um, you know, what, what else can this guy do? How many more signs does this, does this guy need to do for these guys to actually understand, like, hey, this guy's for real? Um, and the, Jesus sighs in verse 12, knowing this, um, sighs deeply in his spirit because he, he feels that weight. He feels that weight. And, and the fact of the matter is these Pharisees are not asking this question genuinely. They're asking more in an obnoxious, smart aleck, testing type of way. They were not genuinely wanting to know because they have doubted the authority behind Jesus in all of his signs the entire time. See, it's interesting because the Pharisees don't argue that these things have not happened, but what they doubt and what they disbelieve is the authority behind these things that have happened. Right? They're not denying that Jesus just fed these 4,000 plus, but what they're denying is that Jesus is actually of God. See, they don't believe that there's the authority behind him. And, and earlier on in Mark, they even said demon was, or, uh, Jesus was demon-possessed, and they chalked up his works to that. See, they doubted his authority. And Jesus sighs deeply in his spirit and says, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. All right. And he, that's not meaning you guys aren't going to get a sign. It means you're not going to get the sign that you want. All right? The Pharisees aren't getting the sign that they want. They want this big heavenly sign, an angel to come down from heaven and, and to do something. But that's not the sign that they're going to get. They have signs around them, but they're ignoring them. They're doubting the authority behind them. And so after this small di- uh, dispute with the Pharisees, Jesus again jumps in a boat with his disciples and takes off. After talking about disbelief with the Pharisees, he gets in a boat uh, with his disciples and they take off. And uh, starting in verse 14, it says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So, First of all, the Pharisees forgot the bread. How, how much bread left over did they just have? They had seven baskets full. Um, 
but the disciples forgot to bring the bread along with them in the boat. They just forgot it. They just, just forgot it. So now they have one loaf. But Jesus, after this dispute, argument with the Pharisees, decides, hey, this is a good teaching point. So he picks up the bread and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And this, what he's talking about here, this leaven of the Pharisees and, and Herod, is that attitude of doubt and disbelief. He says, watch out for this attitude of doubt and this attitude of disbelief because that ruins everything. That, that'll sneak in there and it'll ruin everything. It'll ruin everything that I've provided. You'll doubt everything that I've provided. You'll worry, and you'll be sick with worry, riding the worry train all the way. You know, we're in Pennsylvania. So you could ride the worry train all the way to uh, California, since that's on the West Coast. Um, that's what he's saying. This attitude of doubt and this attitude of disbelief, watch out. And as soon as... Jesus picks up the bread. The disciples start thinking, uh-oh, we don't have bread. Because they forgot the bread. They forgot the bread. So as soon as Jesus picks up this bread and says, hey, watch out for this attitude of disbelief, they think, uh-oh, we forgot the bread. And start arguing with each other. Probably, Peter, why didn't you bring it? You know, you're, you're the cool guy. And, well, Matthew, whichever one's a tax collector, you probably ate it already. And, and all of these different things. Um, they start arguing with each other about the fact that they have no bread. And you, you've got to wonder, all right, they forgot the 5,000. Now, this wasn't even, there. this was the same day in my, as I'm looking at this, you see immediately a couple times, this was the same day. They just saw Jesus feed 4,000 plus. Why are they worried about Jesus taking care of them? But they are. And Jesus, being aware of this, Decides he's going to go in on him. He's going to press in, and he asks seven rhetorical questions. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? He, he goes in on him, and then he decides, all right, I'm going to jog their memory. Let's see if they actually remember. And he asks them, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said, him, 12. And then he said, and then the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? See, he, he jogs their memory, and now, now they're remembering, and now they're probably thinking, oh, yeah, he, he has done those things. He has done those things. And it's really easy to jump on these guys. It really is. But... I can see myself with them um, so much. I see my face in that boat worrying about bread so much. And the fact that I'm looking at this, and I, I've been reading this um, account for a couple months now, preparing for this, and um, you know, I fully believe Jesus fed 4,000 plus. I fully believe that he fed 5,000 plus, that he's healed the sick. And I believe that God provided for his people, Israel, in the desert with manna and water. I believe that. But how quickly do I then turn around on my own life and think, I, I don't know if he's got it. I, I don't know if he's got me. He, he, eh, I don't know. And I start worrying. And again, I'm just buying my ticket for the worry train. And I'm, I'm just hopping right along and not fully trusting. How quickly do we turn and, and forget what God has done, even in our own lives? 
The fact that I'm alive and breathing right now and able to, to proclaim Jesus as Savior is, is a miracle and, and evidence of his working and evidence of the fact that he's got me, yet I continually doubt what he's doing and I continually doubt what's going on and if he's really under control. How quickly do I turn and doubt? All right, as a kid, I remember this. As a kid, we would vacation in Siesta Key, Florida, and, and there's a pool there. So as a kid, I'm learning how to swim. I'm not great at it. I love the water. Um, so my parents, you know, put on the big floaties on my arms and call them muscles and do, do that whole thing to make me feel cool. Um, but my dad sets me, my dad would set me on the, on the edge um, and kind of take a couple steps out and ask me to jump, jump into the water, you know, jump, I've got you. Um, and it took me a while, but, you know, I finally, I finally do, and he catches me. I don't go under, um, which was, uh, you know, basically death if you go under the water at that point in time for me, because um, I don't know what happens down there. And so my dad catches me, all right, lifts me back up, kind of floats me on back to the edge, um, and I do it again because, you know what, he caught me the last time. He caught me the last time, and so I just keep jumping because it's a blast, you know, feeling that type of adrenaline as a kid. You keep jumping, and that's Jesus in the water just saying, I, I've got you. I've got you, all right? We can trust Jesus because he's done it before, and he'll do it again, all right? We can't be worried because, you know what? He's done it before, and he's going to continue doing that. But even more importantly, and this is where I think this uh, really hits home, is the Pharisees, they, they remembered those things, yet they doubted the authority behind it. See, we can remember all the good things that, that God has done for us and that, that Jesus has provided for us, but if we don't understand who is behind it, we're going to doubt the entire time. So yes, we remember that he did, but we need to remember who he is. You see, when my dad was in the water, I didn't jump just because, simply because he caught me the last time. I, I jumped to him because he was my dad. All right? I was blessed with a great, great father who, who loved me, and I knew he had me. I knew he was going to catch me. See, I wasn't jumping to some stranger from the street. I wasn't jumping even to like a friend's dad or like my uncle. I was jumping to my dad, and I knew that my dad would catch me. And I knew that my dad was not going to let anything happen to me. I knew who was in the water waiting on me. And we can trust Jesus the same because, yes, he's done it time and time again, but we can trust him because we know who he is. He's the son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity. He's our savior, the one who lived the, the life that we should live and died the death that we were supposed to die and then was raised three days afterwards. That's who's in the water. And he's telling the disciples here, hey, I'm in the boat. The Christ is in the boat with you. Don't worry, I've got you. And so he's in the water, all right? For the disciples, he was in the boat. For our sake, I'm gonna go push, it, push him in the water and say, he's in the water waiting on us. Will we jump to him? Will we fully trust him with whatever it is, whether it's, you know, a job? You know, I'm thinking about a job in the fall because I'm gonna graduate and, well, I've gotta move on to real life. So am I going to to trust him with my job. You know, there's finances, there's, you know, relationships all over the place. This is, life is about relationships and relationships are up and down. Are we going to trust that he's got it? 
and not stress and not worry. That doesn't mean we sit on our hands and not do anything. We're going to go to our jobs and be the best that we can be. And we're going to go relate to people and, and be the best that we can be and do the best that we can. But we can't worry because he's got us. He's got us. He's in the water and he's waiting. He's telling us to jump. All right, he caught us before, but he's the Christ and he's compassionate. So we've got to jump. I know I've got to jump. So I pray that you do as well. All right, so let's uh, go ahead and uh, pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, thank you for today. Um, Thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord, and just um, bringing us here. Um, God, you're good, um, and we trust you. You're sovereign, and um, we trust in your plan. Um, We trust in your son. Um, And Lord, I just pray that you allow our hearts um, just to to grow into that. Um, Lord, help our disbelief. Help our unbelief. Um, God, again, you're good. Um, I thank you and praise you, and it's your son's precious name I pray these things. Amen.